thanks for uh, leading us, guys. That was a beautiful time of worship. And uh, as Jeff said, in many ways, uh, I am Taylor, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, yeah, this that's I'm used to that. What Douglas does used to lead worship a lot, um, and still do for our little micro church um, quite often, and other community events and stuff. But you know, preaching in this side of the the coin isn't isn't my uh, my go-to, but I'm really glad and thankful to be here, and uh, thank you for many of you who've already told me you've been praying for this and for me, so I just appreciate you guys, and just the atmosphere here, it, it feels like a spiritual family, you know, which is, which is a blessing. Um, anytime I see that, it is so rare that a church is actually uh, acting and treating one another and knowing each other like family, and just being here for a morning, um, that's the way it feels. So you guys are, have been a blessing to me already. So um, today, uh, I want to I talk about how we're ready to make disciples. And that's going to happen in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So you can open your Bibles there. And hopefully you have uh, the little outline I printed with all the blanks. Uh, I'd love for you to have one of those if you don't. So if you don't have something to fill in those blanks, maybe Douglas can hit you up with one, full sheet of paper. I don't know where they're at, but um, raise your hand if you don't have one. You got a few. We got some up at the front over here who, who raised their hand as well. So um, while they're handing those out, making disciples, it can be the most natural a life-giving thing that you decide to spend your time doing. It can be the most natural and life-giving thing that you decide to spend your time doing. If you count the cost and you engage in God's mission, you will rejoice as you see stories of Scripture come to life in your everyday. So stories that we're about to, like we're about to read in 2 Corinthians that we're ambassadors, that we are, uh, we are charged with this message of reconciliation. You're going to see things like that play out in your own life. And when you read scriptures like that, it'll bring hope and boldness rather than um, a bothered conscience. Have you ever been there before where you read some scripture and rather than encourage you, it actually discourages you because... It's nowhere to be found in your life, and it seems like an imagination of whoever was writing that. I've seen scriptures come to life in the past three years as I've been engaged in this. <clears throat> um, but I, I want to connect it to what you guys have been going through and uh, the community and fellowship aspect before we jump into the scripture. So Jeff has been emphasizing the need for community and fellowship, right? That you guys are city set on a hill, right? Nod your head if you guys recall that. Yep, that Acts 2, right? You're, you're going through the actions of the early church, and you can just ask, how is disciple-making connected to that fellowship, connected to um, this togetherness? Well, I want to share how the light scatters after it's gathered from a city on a hill. I want to um, show you that the crucial foundation of fellowship it's not actually meant to terminate there. 
And if it does, then it doesn't resemble a New Testament church. If fellowship just ends there and it doesn't go out, then we're not practicing what we see in Acts 2. Um, it's, it's meant to lead and bleed into our everyday as we make disciples. So let's set the framework for disciple making uh, before we jump into the text. So I, I just want to ask, I'm going I'm to just quote some scriptures real quick. You just, guys, just think, just think to yourself, what comes to mind when you hear this? And, and you, you, you apply them to your everyday. What, is, what comes to mind? I am an ambassador. As the Father sent Jesus, he also sends you. That you are to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And the one that we're most familiar with, go and make disciples. How does, that, how does all that stuff sit with you? Are you doing that? Am I doing that? And I, I've heard this, maybe you've, maybe you've heard this, if you thought this yourself, well, I've, I've got kids, I'm discipling them, you know? Like, that, that's happening, I, I'm discipling my kids. Well, I've got friends who sharpen me, you know? So discipleship, it's happening there, you know, right? Uh, or I try to make disciples with my lifestyle, Maybe you've thought that yourself or, or tried to push away some of those scriptures. But here's what I want to make clear today, that making disciples it, of Jesus, it can't happen unintentionally. You can be making disciples of your kids. Hopefully you are, but it has to happen with intentionality. And if it's happening in your workplace, if it's happening in your neighborhoods, if it happens, it, it's, it, you're going to know it. You're going to be aware of it. It's not going to be by happenstance. And here's how I, uh, I started intentionally making disciples. That guy on, uh, on the right there, his name's Chad, Chad Wade. And um, I don't know, about eight years ago, I started asking people around me, hey, can you teach me, you know, to make disciples? Can you disciple me? Can you? And around here, it just wasn't happening. So I knew Chad was doing this. And so I said, hey, I, bro, can you teach me? And he's like, hey, it was... It was hard 500 miles away. You know, it's hard to do that. But uh, he was in Connecticut. But I'll do the best I can. And uh, the middle, middle guy in there, his name's Patrick. And uh, he and my wife, uh, my wife and I disciple he and his wife, um, Megan, now. And so I invited, invited him to come along to, to visit Chad. They were in New York at that time. And, I mean, just over the years... That's what's happened. He's, he's learned to make disciples, and he's teaching me to do the same thing. You heard the same thing in, in Jeff, what he, what he told of our stories, that we learned to make disciples. He learned how to do it from Travis, and then he taught me how to do it. And here's what I want to say. The Scripture is true. The Spirit is the vessel through which all this happens. He gives us the power. The, sang, the song we just sang, it doesn't happen without him. But it also, it doesn't happen without people showing you how. You've got to have people around you who are doing this with you. And I just want to make that clear and kind of talk about some of, the, some of the cost of this because really as we study the scripture, it's going to be, I pray, very encouraging and very affirming that you can start right now, today. But I thought, I thought man, before we get to that and before I paint this rosy picture and show you all the slides of how it's happening, I do have to just emphasize that it, there's a cost to this. It's going to cost you something. And really the two things that we have found this cost is um, 
our calendars, and our comfort. If you're engaged in any kind of, I want to go talk to and hang out and be around people who are far from God, I want that to become a regular rhythm for me, and I want to make new disciples, then you already know, this is what it costs you. In other parts of the world, like Chad, who I just mentioned, they went to the middle of Asia to make disciples of all nations. It's costing them a little bit more. You know, but for us, for, for us in the West, where Christianity is, you know, accepted largely as, yeah, cool, you can go tell other people about Jesus, it's going to cost us our weekends. It's going to cost us, um, you know, a safe space at home. That's what I kind of grew up, and I think Jenny as well, like, we, we, we kind of thought, like, okay, so home is for, to keep the world out. It's for, it's for me to be comfortable. It's for me to recover, for me to recoup. But the comfort of that, I'm just going to tell you, if you decide to make disciples, that's not the space that your home is. It's not only meant for you to be comfortable, but to invite others into it. And your calendar, your weekends, your, uh, your nights, you know, it's going to get crowded with people that you're intentionally trying to make disciples of. So, um, that's, uh, that's the preface that I want to make before we, we hop in, because I do believe that you and I um, can start today, no matter where you are at. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you can start making disciples of Jesus today. So uh, let's, let's look at that. We're going we're gonna to look at three ways, and we're going to jump into our text. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Let's read this together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. The last verse, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here's the the first point that we want to look at and I want to make today, that you are made to make disciples. You got a sheet of paper, Write that down. You are made to make disciples. He is a new creation. Can you guys say that with me? He is a new creation. Here we go. He is a new creation. Thank you. So you are a new creation. You're made brand new by the love of Jesus. If you have accepted him, if you're a follower of Jesus. And here's something. Did you know that reproduction is a part of the fabric of creation? In Genesis 2, God shows us that reproduction, multiplication, is a part of the fabric, the DNA of the way the world works. You remember what he says in Genesis 2? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. Multiply. So it's woven in the fabric, and now as we are made new, God has charged us with bringing about more new creation. 
right? We're made new, and we partner with Him to bring about new creation. So that's, that's part of being new. It's not just so that you're made new, it's that you now bring about the new creation with God. And the primary way that you do this, can anybody guess how I, what I think about that? What's the primary way you'd bring about new creation? Making disciples, that's right. Making disciples is the primary way. It's not one of, just one of the ways, it's the primary way, right? I think in the church we do this, we do this really well, right? We're like, yeah, 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 making disciples. It's one of the things. It's one of the things we do. Yeah, and there's small groups, and there's the worship service, and there's preaching, and there's, you know, singing songs, and there's prayer, and there's all these, you know, classes we need, and there's making disciples. No, what I'm going to argue is making disciples is the foundation for everything, and out of that, we do all the other functions of the church. Making disciples is the way in which we partner with God to bring about his new creation. So, I do want to address, though, because I think my wife and I, we've, we've wrestled through this over the years as we've trained other people, as we've worked this out in our own marriage and family. What if you don't feel like you're made for it, right? What if, what if you don't feel like, you say like, hey, I, I'm an introvert, you know? I'm a mom, not a pastor. I'm just a high schooler. What, what does that look like for me? I, I've heard this a lot. I'm actually just, I'm better with Christians. You know, I'm, I'm better with Christians. That's really where God has called me, is to believers. Well, here's, here's the question I want to ask of you. Um, are there people who are far from God who are introverts? Do you think? Are there introverts who don't know Jesus? Are there moms who don't know Jesus and need a godly mother to introduce them into the ways of Jesus? Are there fathers who need desperately for someone who is close to Jesus to introduce them to the ways that a parent should father their children in the ways of Jesus? Gamers, sports fans, small business, business owners, you, you use your passions, your natural, the way God made you you use that and leverage that for making disciples. If you, are, uh, if you are a mom and you feel like, man, this is a big part of who God made me to be. And man, I bet you there are moms groups in your city, in your uh, neighborhood, and you're something you could make, you could join, you could, a skill, craft, uh, thing that you specialize within motherhood that you can join, be a part of. Uh, you can leverage these things. You, you got a small business, you know. Uh, my dad's been a small business owner for what, 20 years, 25, 30, something like that? 25 years. He has skills, he has skills and knowledge that he can leverage for making disciples in the community, teaching others, building relationships, right? That's, it, it's, it only makes sense. So um, I just want you to ask yourself this, how can I make disciples while being exactly who God made me to be. Exactly the passions, exactly the framework, exactly the, the, the childhood experiences, the skills and schooling you've worked on, exactly who God's made you to be. And one of my favorite stories is, is my wife working this out with, with Jenny. Um, 
So five years ago when we started pursuing this lifestyle, um, you know, she was overwhelmed because she's all those things. She's an introvert and a mom and, you know, all, all the things I just mentioned. So it's like, dude, maybe that feels comfortable for you, Taylor, but uh, that's not my cup of tea. Not what she said, but I, what I can hear many, right? But after a lot of awkward attempts at trying to do this in our family, and a lot of like trying and failing and moving and shifting, she's found a kind of stretching that's right and healthy and good for her. And that is bringing the stranger in. Hospitality to the stranger has become her strength. So we as a family, we go out in order to bring people in. We go out in order to bring people in. My buddy Chris, who just walked out the door, uh, we, we went out and we met, I met Chris, uh, just walking around, I think he was walking a dog or something, um, and we're talking, you know, he's talking about games and oh, he's, you know, software designer, and we start talking about Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, and, you know, this and that, and then you know, it's like, hey, yeah, we've got a gathering at my, at my house. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, you should, you should come. So he comes, and then later on, uh, I think this, this Wednesday, we had uh, him and his family over for, for dinner, just hanging out, trying to get to know people, trying to, um, trying to leverage our home and the community that we're around for making disciples. And that's, uh, that's what Jenny and I have, have learned to do. And so this that you see behind us, this is now like our norm. Just parties, inviting people over. You see, that's, that's not like, a, it's, it is a safe place, but it's not the safe place that we used to think of in our home. It's, it's safe for the stranger as well. And so we, we try to make this a normal rhythm in our life where uh, I am able to go out and use my strength Jenny is able to use her strength as well. And one more story before we go to the next point. is just in our old neighborhood. <clears throat> so we just moved about six months ago, both, both houses in Eastridge. But in our old neighborhood, we had this, this family that we just felt drawn to again and again and again. This is over like a year's worth of time. And we're bringing cookies. We're asking for prayer. We're inviting them over for parties. We're going to their birthday parties. And it's one of those deals where it's like, yeah, I mean, I think we should go like, it, it probably won't be great. It's going to be a little awkward, but like, yeah, I think we should do this. But I just felt continually compelled in my prayer time as I'm thinking through. The Lord's just drawing me to them. And uh, this is, again, after like a year of labor and, and relationship building and, and kindness as best we can do, uh, we get this bang on our door at like 8.30 at night. We got some friends over. Um, Chris may have been there. I'm not, I'm not sure. This, this Chris. There's two Chris's in the room. Um, but probably others Chris's too. But um, we get this bang on our door, and it's, it's that neighbor. It's that woman. Eight, 8.30 at night. And we're like, what is going on? And, you know, we're looking out the door, and um, she'd been hurt emotionally. She'd gone through kind of traumatic events. And the place that she thought to go to was walking up her street, taking a left, and knocking on our door because she needed counsel, encouragement, prayer. I mean, that's crazy stuff. That's, that's, not, that's, that's not normal. 
That's not normal, but intentional effort, prayer, again, not to point out our work, but the consistency of trying to use our everyday life, walking around with our kids in a wagon, bringing cookies, just normal stuff. And it led to this woman, and now she, she, she has a spiritual family. She's being knit together within our gathering on Sundays, and this is, this is now her, a part of her life. You know, um, just crazy. It's crazy what God did. Um, so the second point is uh, that you're gifted to make disciples. You're gifted to make disciples. Not only did God make you to do this, he also gave you gifts to accomplish it. This is what uh, the scripture says. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's committed the message of reconciliation to us. So Jesus didn't see fit to just like to just give us the ministry. He didn't give us a car and not give us gas money and lessons and insurance. He didn't just say, "Okay, here's here's, you know, here's this thing that I did, go do it." He gave you the car and he gave you the insurance and he taught you lessons and he gave you, you know, gas money. He he gave us all of the perks of a comfy drive as well within this ministry. And I want to show you this first in, um, in Acts 1.8. You guys are probably familiar with this passage. But it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that Jesus gives us in order to accomplish this message of reconciliation. This task to make disciples. And the Spirit gives us that emboldening, emboldening, that power to be witness. Another thing He does is He guides us, right? The Spirit guides us. What I just talked about, that story with our neighbor, that's not because of anything besides the Spirit of God inside of me continuing, just like she pounded on my, on my door. He is just, He's continuing year a year's time, he's continuing to knock on my heart. Hey, you need to go talk to her. Hey, you need to go invite. Hey, you need to go build a relationship. Hey, you need to go pray for them. He guides us to the people of peace that are receptive to the gospel. Another thing that he does is he multiplies our effort. The Spirit of God multiplies our effort. And you guys have seen this in Acts 2, right? Right? You're studying 36 through 47 in chapter 2, right? Well, before that, what happens in Acts? You guys remember what happens in Acts chapter 2? The Spirit descends for the first time. Right? The Spirit descends. Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith. That is a multiplication of effort, right? The Spirit multiplies our effort so that it really isn't just me and Jenny doing this. It's me and Jenny and the Spirit of God working in the hearts of the people that we're investing in and building relationships. The, the second thing that Jesus gives us, um, not just the, uh, the Spirit, but also the gifts of the Spirit, right? The gifts of the Spirit. And we're probably familiar with the, the gifts internally. The Spirit gives, right? You've seen those spiritual lift, lists, you know, evangelism, mercy, hospitality, all that stuff. I want to focus on another gift that I think comes out of Ephesians chapter uh, 4, verse 11 through 12. 
I think that some of the gifts that he gives us are the leaders around us. So check this out. Paul says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So he gifted us to make disciples. One of the ways he does that is the Spirit. Another way is the gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts aren't all just internal in you. Some of them are your pastors, right? That's, that's what he's talking about, is there are leaders given to the church in order to equip them for ministry. Here's where we get whacked out. We, we think that these, these gifts to the church, these leaders, that they are, uh, they're supposed to do all the ministry. That's really what we think. That's, okay, I'll just say this. It, maybe it's not what you think. It's, it's what we act like. We come to 90-minute gatherings. We expect our leaders to give us everything we need, and then they're the ones to do the work of the ministry, you know, the next six days. But the passage says the leaders are intended to equip you to do the work of ministry. And I want to illustrate this because I think... Um, I think it's really important, but it's going to happen through the next point. So I, I just want to highlight one more thing, just, just that what, we, what we do with the gifts, right? We relegate it to other people, and we say, yeah, that's for you, Pastor. Another thing is we diminish the gifts, right? Like hospitality, uh, mercy, you know, yeah, we, we say, and maybe you've been there. It's, I feel like it's a stigma, at least in, in my mind. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've got those gifts, but what else you got for me, God? You know, like... I, what, what else can I, can I get in order to accomplish this? And really what we're doing is we're acting like unbelievers. We're saying like, okay, you gave me God, but what else? Can, what, what difference is that going to make? That's what, that's what we position and, and kind of posture ourselves at when we, when we diminish the gifts that the Spirit gives, right? All right, this is, uh, this is the third point, one I'm probably most excited about. This is one that Jeff actually asked me to, to put in. He's like, man, I, I really need, uh, I need you to do this so I don't have to preach another sermon. Uh, just on this point. And so I'm like, all right, we'll make a sub point, a main point, and then I got excited about it, and the Spirit uh, guided me, hopefully, to uh, something that's encouraging. So you have one another to make disciples. You have one another to make disciples. Um, God has reconciled us to himself. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. It's all, Paul's assumption here is not that my buddy Adam or Douglas over there would go out after this and be isolated in their little silos and their jobs and their homes by themselves and go make disciples, go be messengers of reconciliation. That's not his assumption. It's that we would scatter in teams. That's his assumption. That's Paul's assumption this whole time is that we are messengers of reconciliation, hand in hand, arm in arm, partnered together, going out um, as teams. And you can see this in the life of Paul. Just think about how many, if you've ever read a letter of Paul and you get to the end, you're like, dude, why are you listing a whole page worth of names that I can't pronounce? Who are these people? Where are they going? Why are you mentioning them? Those are his teammates. Epaphras, Timothy, Titus, all these, these Silas, Barnabas, 
you just think about Paul, and you, if, you, if you know his ministry well, you think about the men and women that he was surrounded with doing this ministry together. Even helping, just think about the people he's around and he's listing. They, they probably helped form some of these letters, right? Some of this theology that we ascribe to only Paul. Dude, his team was around him constantly, in the prisons with him, visiting him. He's working all of his, all of the things that we hold fast to in the scriptures are worked out through the ministry of teams, not just one individual. And you see that in Paul. Another example is in the early church. So, you got this passage, I just, just referenced it. Um, receiving power, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. He's like, hey, hold up, don't go anywhere until you get the Spirit. Then you're going to go be witnesses. You're going to go to Jerusalem, where they're at. You're going to go to Judea, next to that. You're going to go to Samaria, next to that, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, the question is, did they actually do that? You ever wonder that? Did the, did the apostles, did they go and spread the word to those places? Well, the answer, short, is it's no. They didn't. Until God forced it to happen. So we're going to pick up Acts chapter 8. Just follow me. You get, you're going to have to do some work in order to, to see and illustrate this point, but it's going to be beautiful at the end, I think. Um, on that day, this is Acts chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. The apostles were told to go elsewhere, they're still in Jerusalem, eight chapters late, right? And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria, that's where Jesus told them to go. So, if you go chapter before, Acts chapter 7, that's Stephen, right? Stephen got a man, deacon raised up, he goes and preaches a sermon against the Pharisees, he gets stoned to death. That's the start of the persecution, and then chapter 8 happens, and a great persecution breaks out against the whole church. And it forces them, this is all orchestrated by God. Every little incident is orchestrated by God. It forces them to go to the places that they hadn't been. So they are in a holy huddle in Jerusalem. They're getting fed, they're getting equipped to do the work of ministry, and yet, this is a you know, presumption a little bit, but they're not. They're not going to do the work. They're not going where Jesus told them to go. They're in a holy huddle, persecution hits, and they're forced to scatter in team. They're forced to scatter in team. But what, what does this have to do with togetherness? How do you get that? Let's, let's keep reading for just a little bit longer. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Okay, so track this. Think about Ephesians 4.12 that we just looked at, right? The leaders are sent, they're given to the church in order to equip the saints to the work of ministry. The church in Jerusalem is scattered, and everyone but the apostles, the leaders don't go with them. The leaders stay in Jerusalem, the church, the rest, the everyday believers scatter, they're the ones preaching the word, and then, as God intended, the leaders come back, they correct theology, they instruct, they help, you know, they, they do whatever they need to do to make sure the church is healthy. And that is, I propose, the way that God meant for it to happen rather than to stay in this one, uh, this one area alone. 
everyday believers scattering together. This is a great commission community. That's, that's a picture of a great commission community, right? It's only until they're forced to do that. And again, my, my, my suggestion is they stopped relying on the leadership and began to actually do with one another the work that God called them to do. So a few stories before we, before we move on to the last point. Uh, a few of these people are, are back, back in the back right there. Um, but I want to highlight first off that, that dude in the middle with the blue shirt. His name's Jim. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, for about five years, he was laboring in Chattanooga by his own, on his own, trying to find teams, partners, inviting people, going to churches, training them, trying to get them to go make disciples, evangelize. And I'm sure he found a few people, you know, but there was no sustained effort of team over that year. Then he met this guy, Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy's the tall one at the back. And again, he's, he's here. You got JJ here as well um, in that picture. And they form Scattered Church. And Scattered Church feels called to Tunnel Hill. Right in you guys' backyard, right? They feel called to Tunnel Hill. They begin sharing the gospel in Tunnel Hill, trying to make disciples. And um, over a two-year period, they engage every home in Tunnel Hill. It's a thousand-plus homes that they're laboring in. And there's something like, you know, share the gospel 300 times, pray over 500 people. I mean, just crazy stuff. That happens because of teaming, teaming. You got Jim laboring by, his, by himself for five years, and then you got two years of labor together, and it leads to 1,000 homes getting reached. That's uh, Patrick and Megan on the left there. You can see me and my beautiful bride. Um, Patrick and Megan, their story is we, we train them, right, as disciple makers. We send them out for a year in their apartments alone, and... There's very, very little fruit. They're trying, but they're discouraged, don't, have, don't know how to get traction, can't figure out, you know, left from right as far as what to do. We team up together and start discipling with them, laboring with them, and you can see that other picture in the middle there. We, we met a believer who's laboring, begin to laboring with us in the apartment, and they've got a Bible study going on, they've got brunches where they're building relationships, they've got... Uh, yeah, making disciples happen. Last last example. I know you probably can't see that, but or or see what it is. But this is a this is a map of our old neighborhood. The map of our old neighborhood, and under each house, there's a blank for us to write names of neighbors that we get to know. We lived there for five years, and for three years, I I'm telling you, I tried like. Two or three of those years, I tried to do this alone, and the last two, we, uh, we had partners with us. We had people doing it with us, and all those blanks were filled in. We shared the gospel with many of them. Again, like I said, we got regular parties at our house. We've got Bible studies happening um, because we had partners with us. We had co-laborers. Um, all right. Let's get to the last point. So uh, the last point that I want to make is you are qualified to make disciples. Qualified. And the text makes this point for us. It says that we're ambassadors. 
we are ambassadors. An ambassador, I, I, uh, I think I have this definition. So an ambassador is a diplomatic official of the highest rank appointed and accredited as a representative by an official or sovereign. So a king can't go somewhere, sends an ambassador. The ambassador has all the authority the king does. He has the same representation that a king would when he goes out and delivers this message. It's actually a great analogy, right? Good. Well done, Paul. I mean, that, that just makes so much sense. Jesus has left us. He sent the Spirit so that we would be the ones spreading the message, right? The question is, are we living, are we thinking like we're qualified in that same way? And really the question I have, well, did Jesus do this? Like, did he treat people like they were qualified to go do this even while he was on the earth? And I think this is so, so important because whether we realize it or not, I see this all the time, that qualification is a barrier to making disciples. Here's what I think we are actually good at in the church. I think that we do say you're not, you don't have, quali- have to have qualifications for salvation, right? We recognize that in, in the ministry of Jesus. We're like, hey, yeah, he came to heal the sick, not the healthy. He came for the lost, the sinner, the broken. All are welcome, right? Like, I think that's a very, very clear message. But after salvation, that's where the qualifications come in. That's where all the markers, oh, you got to hit this mark before you're ready for this. You get, Yep, you got to have some years of faithful service here. Yeah, you got to have this before you can be this person. Here, here's the question, though. Did Jesus do that? Do we see that? in the scriptures, in the gospels, in the pattern that he set for us. I I don't think that we rely on our leaders only because of laziness or something. I think it's because we think we're not qualified to do this. I think that's why we rely on leaders so much, too much, unhealthily. We we look to them for things because we think you got to be special. We've recognized this in our even on our disciple-making, right? Like our ministry is called disciple-making, disciples-making disciples. When you use that word, less people come to your events. When you use that word, less people come to trainings. When you say disciple, discipleship, disciple-making, it scares people away. They think, that's not for me. That's not for me. I wasn't called to that. I'm not ready for that. I can't do that. I, I mean, and so, you know, we, we find ways to work around that. We, we call them love-your-neighbor trainings. Right, instead of disciple-making trainings or something like that. Because it's like, dude, that there is no, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a disciple-maker. That's, period, it, that's all. Okay, here's what we want to look at in Jesus' ministries. Two stories. First, the Samaritan woman and then uh, the demoniac. So let's see how Jesus treats the everyday believer. Um. If you guys aren't familiar with this story, he meets a, a woman, right? She's, she's sitting by a well. She's a Samaritan woman, not a Jew. There's all sorts of barriers. Jesus is breaking down there, right there. He, she's a woman. Shouldn't be talking to him. Samaritan, outcast. Jews, Jews shouldn't have anything to do with him. Um, but she believes. She starts following Jesus. Here's, here's what happens. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe in you because of what you said since we've heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. So the woman 
comes to Jesus. She goes back to her town. She tells everybody what Jesus did for her. They come back and see Jesus for themselves and believe. It's the same pattern in Acts, right? It's the same pattern. Scattering believers, then the leadership comes and makes sure that, hey, we, we, we don't want to scatter believers and have them never have uh, other trainers, other leaders that they look up to. But we want to scatter believers as quickly as we can, and then we're going to have the leaders. Jesus comes in and says, hey, yeah, here's, here's the full testimony. Here's what you need to know, and they believe because of what he says. We are making the same mistake that the church in Acts made. We are making the same mistake. We're staying in our Jerusalem. We're staying in our, in our, in our safe places, and we're not scattering. All right, next story is an even better one. Um, that Luke 8, the demoniac. If you're not familiar with this story, goodness gracious, go read it. It's, 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 it's wild. We meet this guy, and he's naked, he's in chains, he's living with dead people. Um, and Jesus, of course, everybody in town is scared of this guy, rightfully so. Jesus decides to engage him. He casts a demon out of him. And here's what the dude says. He goes, before, he, before this passage comes up, he says, the man from whom the demon departed begged him earnestly to be with him. That's pretty reasonable, right? If you had a demon cast out of you and you knew the guy who did it, you'd go and say, let me hang out with you for a little bit. Let's, let me learn a little bit more. Here's what Jesus says. Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done. If this story doesn't convince you, I really don't know what will. I would not do this. If there was a demon-possessed man who had a reputation in town like this guy, and the dude gets the demon cast out, I would not say, go for it and then walk away. That's crazy. This is a town, the capitalist. It's a big region. And he says, go tell everybody. I mean, what kind of faith do you have to have in order to do this? Let's, let's get the basics of the faith down. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's do some doctrinal classes. Let's make sure that you know what's going on because demons have been teaching you what the truth is, and now you need to know a little bit. Jesus says, go, go for it. Go tell everybody. I want to tell you some on-the-ground stories uh, as we close of, of this happening. So this, this is a Waffle House. And the people that are in that Waffle House uh, come from the motels around it. We called it Waffles and Word. We had these little flyers. We go out knocking on the Motel 6 doors. Say, hey, we want to buy you a waffle, and uh, we want to study the Bible with you over in the Waffle House. Um, and then there's a Wood Springs next to, next to there, and another motel that we went. This is uh, Jenny's least favorite ministry of ours. Not because of, not because of the amazing stories, but because uh, it's a sketchy place. Um, so, but the people in there, they're, they're studying the Bible. They're actually praying at that moment. But one of the women in the back, um, she started leading the worship at that gathering. And then her son started leading some of the, the Bible studies at that gathering. And then we helped our, that community, not, not me, that community that was leading the leaders there, helped this woman and her son 
He had a place outside of uh, the motel, and they're in Rossville, and now they have a Bible study, and they're trying to reach their neighbors. That is the pattern that we want to see, and the importance of releasing and we had to do a lot of unlearning before we did that, right? We're like telling the dude, this guy's like 28 years old. And we're like, bro, you don't have to be a pastor. I stopped going because it was unhelpful for a pastor guy to be there. It's like, we just want everyday lay believers to be the ones leading it so that they can model and just show this dude, hey, you don't, you don't have to have a, any special qualification to lead this. I just want to say something. I'm not telling these stories to point attention to our ministry, the things I've been a part of. I'm telling these stories to, to encourage you that it's already happening. You don't have to imagine what it would be like if Chattanooga had, you know, people. It's happening. There are people who are carving out the time, who are putting it on their calendar, who are giving up their comfort in order to see disciples making disciples. They're believing that they're gifted for it, they're made for it, they're teeming with one another, and they're living out and demonstrating the truth of the gospel that all who are called are not only called and qualified for salvation, but also for the ministry, the work of ministry. So here's where we're going to close out. We're going to, on your papers, you should have some of these, uh, you know, ways to start today. I really do, like... I, I put the message, you know, ready to make disciples because I really do believe today, actually today, you can begin making disciples. The first way is you can learn about lostness. You can learn about lostness. Pick one of these categories and start asking questions, talking to people, using the internet to learn. Your friends, family, neighbors, uh, the city. Start learning about the lostness around you so that God can grow your heart toward the lostness around you. Um, writing it down, what you're learning, keeping notes in a journal, praying for specific people. This is like day one, start today. If you, like, I, I would love it if every believer... Um, if I started asking people, if you started asking me about, hey, what about East Ridge? You know, what, what's, are there a lot of Christians there? I want every believer to know the answer to that. Because they've, they've thought about it, they've asked, they've researched, they've, they've considered it's important to them. I want people to know who live in Tunnel Hill the answer right away, too. And it, just everybody always gets caught up in the details. They're like, how do you figure that out? Well, there's a lot of guessing involved. But there's also statistics that you can learn, and there's personal interaction. If you're engaging with lost people, if you're engaging with any people, then you can start to get a, a, a feel for, oh, yeah, there are. I'm meeting a lot of people hostile to Christianity, or I'm meeting a lot of people who are, you know, welcoming. All right, uh, next is day-to-day disciple-making. Day-to-day disciple-making. So here's just some suggestions, things that Jenny and I have, have found helpful in our own lives. Become a regular somewhere. Become a regular somewhere. Instead of going to seven different grocery stores, go to the same one, try to go to the same cash register. Instead of going to five different coffee shops, try to find one with lots of people far from God. I'm serious. This is this Christian culture right now, it's like, dude, let's find the believers and let's go hang out with them. Don't do that anymore. 
find the lost people and go hang out with them. That's what you need to do. Uh, we, yeah, I'll stop. Yep, uh, just become a regular somewhere. We went to Honey Seed Bakery uh, downtown uh, yesterday, and we met uh, Zoe, I think, yeah, the, the receptionist. Um, yeah, the person who greets you at the front, hostess, that's the one. Um, and we asked her how we could pray for her. We met our waitress, Grace. Grace seemed to be a, a firm believer and, and, you know, loved prayer and had something specific. Man, Grace could be a disciple maker. She goes to UTC. We can, we can keep going there, building relationship, inviting her into the rhythms of our life, into the rhythms of uh, some trainings, and get her uh, serious about this as well. Become a regular. Leverage your family rather than lament them. Leverage your family rather than lament them. This is something I'm really passionate about as a family of young, young boys. I meet a lot of families who, family or a lot of dads, I'll just say, because there's other people I'm talking to, <clears throat> their kids are an obstacle to disciple-making. That's a lie. That is not true. If you think that in here, you are, you are kidding yourself. It is not an obstacle. It does not have to be an obstacle. Um, you can use your family rhythms, bedtime, dinner, school, sports, family time, can become disciple-making time. Patrick and Megan, the people that we've mentioned a few times, Chris as well, uh, dinner, bedtime, you know, these, these rhythms that, again, like grew up kind of thinking this is our space, they're invited into those spaces. They can see how we parent. They can see how, how, what our bedtime routine looks like. They can see how I screw up, you know, like they, they're, they're witnesses to that. When I go to the park with my son, I use that as an opportunity to talk to people. We were just at Coolidge. I was telling uh, JJ this earlier. We were just at Coolidge and met somebody from his church because I went out and started talking. And then you know who was talking to him for way longer than I was? Jenny. She's more comfortable in that space, you know? Like after the relationship's established, she's better at that. So... Leverage those rather than lament them. Um, get creative. Just, I, you know, I had people tell me they were like mall walking uh, as their exercise. And I'm like, dude, great. Use one of those times rather than mall walk, go prayer walk. Still walk. Still walking around. Or every time you go mall walk, try to engage one person. Share the gospel with them. If you exercise at the gym, maybe the gym's the great place. Maybe you feel called to your neighborhood. Give up a gym day and go prayer walk in your neighborhood instead. Just get creative with routines. Again, thinking about it. Look for an example. If you, think, if you see anybody, I saw Chad from 500 miles away and said, bro, teach me. Model it for me. Help me. If you see anybody doing any of the things well that I'm talking about, call them up, talk to them, text them. Hey, can we get coffee? Hey, can, you, can, I, can I watch you do some of these things? Hey, can I... Ask them. Ask for an example. And then finally, pray for uh, disciples to be made. Train with tools. We're wrapping up. we got less than five minutes. Train with tools. So you know what a tool is, right? A tool, you have a job to, to get done. A tool makes it easier. You have a hole to dig. It's really hard to do with your hands. So somebody made a shovel. That's a tool. 
The commission is, the commission is go make disciples, okay? Well, there have been disciple makers for centuries and decades who have been doing that and have figured out really good ways to do that. We have the Bible, we have the Spirit, right? But there are also men like Jeff who have been trying to put this, Jeff and Hallie both, trying to put this, these practices in their life and using tools, making their own tools in order to make it easier. We need to practice these tools in real life, practice them with those people that you're uh, exemplifying, like following from. We need to team up and do these things. And I just, you know, three categories of tools I think are very, very useful that people probably aren't trained in. Gospel tools, like we use like the 15-second testimony. Three circles, simple presentation of the gospel. Um, gathering tools, we've got a discovery Bible study. It's a Bible study that's specifically designed for people far from God to enter in and feel comfortable and confident engaging with the Scripture. And discipling. We have discipleship pathways. We have pathways, again, that we've tried over the past five or so years, learned from people who have done it way longer than that, and kind of synthesized, contextualized, figured out, hey, what works here? What, what makes sense for our people? What makes discipleship pathways, man? Like using other people who have been doing that and learning from them. That's one way you're being discipled is following their investment in tools. Uh, Jimmy and JJ, can you guys raise your hands? All right, so back there. And you got Ed, Ed as well. He's not much for raising his hand, but um, these guys, Jimmy and JJ specifically, they uh, live around Ringgold, and they have for the past, what, three or four months? Eight months at least. They meet in this parking lot. We just found this out a month ago. And they engage the neighborhood behind Poplar Springs they're pointing to me this way, this way. And they knock on doors and ask people, how can we pray for you? And then they ask them, how, uh, what gives you hope in this world? After they pray for them, and the person answers, and they say, hey, can we share what gives you hope in, in our world? And they share the gospel with them. They've been doing that for eight months. That's the kind of teaming that's available, right? You, if, let's just say you're here, you're like, man, I'm compelled, I'm convicted, I want it. I'm really scared. Watch them do it. Watch them do it. Just follow them around. You know, pray, pray alongside of them as they are the ones engaging, and they'll teach you along the way. And then the last thing is you can scan that QR code. Um, you can learn about our trainings. You can learn more about the DMD Collective. Um, you can message us through that. You can do whatever you want. There's lots of, lots of resources there uh, that you can engage yourself in. So, I'm I'm thankful for uh, thankful for you guys inviting me here and uh, and listening and I know your congregation is becoming serious about making disciples. I know that you have been serious about making disciples, but you haven't known where to start. And I think that together, uh, as I've learned with other people, we can make it happen, man. We can we can follow God's example, Jesus' example. We can let believers loose and, uh, and have them make an impact. So let me pray. We'll roll out. Father, thanks so much for, um, for gathering the church here today. 
thank you for um, what we're about to do. We're going to take part in the remembering of your body being broken and your blood being shed. We're thankful for the table being opened for everyone. And God, I pray that you would put the same desire to have that table be filled with everyone from the streets and the back alleys and the worst places of our city. You want the table to be filled with those people, not just this church. I pray that you would move us toward that. And I pray that um, soon, very soon, we'd see people breaking the bread and drinking the cup who were far from God beforehand. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, I, I do want to mention.